Hillside. How are you guys doing this morning? Woo. Well, hey, I have a few brief announcements for you. Um, first announcement, isn't it great to be in the house of God? Yeah, a little bit better than that. Isn't it great to be in the house of God? Yes. Amen, amen, amen. Well, hey, if you have your programs, uh, you can open them up and kind of follow along with me. I just have a few that I want to highlight for you guys. Uh, the first would be the men's mini conference that's coming up on December 3rd. It's going to be from 8 a.m. to 11. Uh, it's going to be at the Monarch Hotel here in Clackamas. Registration is $15. It includes a buffet breakfast. Uh, and you guys have to register to go. And so you can register either today out in the, uh, out in the foyer. You can register online. Uh, but this is something you do not want to miss. We have some amazing speakers uh, lined up. We have Al Egg, who is the chaplain for the Portland Trailblazers and the uh, Portland State Vikings. We have Neil Lomax who is a nine-year NFL quarterback. Uh, Jeff Hart played offensive line in the professional football league uh, for 11 years. Um, and we have Pastor Mark Strong uh, of Portland uh, uh, going to be there with us. So you do not want to miss this. This is going to be a great conference and a great opportunity for you guys uh, to come and just hear the word of God and hear what it means to be a man of valor. Uh, we also have applications available today. Uh, if you are interested, this upcoming spring break, 2017, uh, we're going to be going to Chile on a mission trip. Uh, and no, it's not cold there. That's not why it's called Chile. Um, that was a bad joke. Um, if you want an application for, for the Chile mission trip, uh, see uh, Dan Alfonso uh, in the back, and he will hook you up with one of those. Um, I also want to announce our week of prayer and fasting. Uh, that's going to be October 31st through November 6th. Uh, we're going to be praying for our nation. We're going to be praying for our community. We'll be praying for our fellowship. Uh, and we're going to conclude that week of prayer and fasting with a uh, con group uh, worship service uh, as the congregation comes together for worship and prayer. Uh, I also want to let you guys know that on Friday, October 21st, that's this upcoming Friday, is the Wichita Family Dinner. Uh, we're going to be having a pizza party over uh, at, at Wichita. And so if you want to volunteer, if you want to help us out, I have a clipboard right here with some sign-up. I'm going to start it over here with Josh in the front. Um, if you want to just throw your name down there, your email and all that, that'd be super cool as well. And lastly, you guys had on your chairs when you came in um, the registration, uh, or, or not registration, but the, the information card. Uh, we are updating our database. Uh, Dave there is in the back. He's holding one up. Uh, if you have not filled one of these out, we're updating everything. We want to get the email addresses. We want to get addresses, not so that we can stalk you, but so that we can uh, keep you informed on things that we're doing. And we also want you to indicate on there if you're not serving in any capacity uh, yet. We, we believe that the body of Christ, uh, we serve together. Uh, and there's many opportunities, big and small, to serve. So we wanted to hook you up with opportunities to serve. So if you just want to mark on there, uh, if you're not serving or if you already are serving, let us know where you're serving uh, so we can better serve you. Amen. Pastor Dave. comes back from South Carolina. <laughs> He'd been in a storm, right? He's going to get me. I don't know if you heard Gary. He said, but after last Sunday, I'm not off to a good start. Matt, Matt preached last Sunday, right? And everybody told me I was uh, going to be looking for work. 
Reward. <laughs> and when they give you the over-the-ear mic and there's nothing attached to the other end, uh, you know, yeah, you're going to be quiet. <laughs> no, I'm teasing. Uh, Matthew mentioned uh, that there are a couple of opportunities to serve, and I wanted to highlight and maybe bring some clarity. Monday night, this week at 7 o'clock at the Promise Center, there's a pizza feed for the team that is going to be serving on Friday night. And so if you would like to be a part of the team, and let me, let me emphasize, we need, let me say that better, we want more folks to serve. Because here's the reality. Every single person sitting here, whether your faith is in Christ or not, we have a, we have a civil duty, let alone a spiritual mandate to serve one another and to serve those that are on the outside. Thank you, brother. So we have that civil duty, certainly, and we have a mandate from the Lord to both live with wisdom towards those who are on the outside as well as serving our fellow man. And so this is a prime opportunity. Husbands, fathers, men, this is an opportunity for you to lead in your own home, to invite your families to participate with you. Come Monday night, 7 o'clock, to the Promise Center and hear all of the ministry that we are going to be engaged in on Friday night. It's an opportunity. Our first Friday night outreach at Wichita, there were about 70 from the community that came to the dinner and played softball. This year we're on the inside, and so we want to invite you. I'm, I'm assuming you have a question for us. The prom that's a great question. She asked, where is the Promise Center? Hey, that's the building that we are currently purchasing. Uh, I will tell you, I actually... Uh, our bookkeeper wrote three checks this week that went in with some stuff to the county, some permit stuff. It's exciting, and so we anticipate all that stuff going through, but it's on 135th, just south of Highway 212, currently Arndt Machinery. In fact, J.D. Arndt uh, is here in the back. J.D., will you just stand and wave? This is, uh, this is our good brother who uh, we're purchasing the building from and his business right there. J.D., thank you. Yeah, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So come, and then the second opportunity to serve, which we are looking for and giving opportunity and want more participants to engage in ministry in our city. Every single month, Hillside Christian Fellowship is on the streets of Portland. Charlie and Linda, will you just stand and wave real quick, or one of you stand and wave? <laughs> Charlie gets to stand. He'll wave. There you go. You come and see these two and engage. It's an opportunity to love on those that have marginalized living. Maybe you're living under a warm roof, a home that has meals, free square. There's folks living on the streets of Portland that live in tents, that some live under an eave. Some get wet. Some go to a night shelter. We've been serving the marginalized. I know the Morris family for 33 years, Hillside Christian Fellowship, from the day we planted the church, we were on the streets of Portland serving. And so we just want to continue to love. And it's an opportunity for many to be a part. 
In fact, if we had more people involved, we'd go down more often. Can I get an amen? Amen. What an epic idea. And it's the Lord's idea, so we get to participate. Okay. Well, turn in your Bibles with me this morning to Genesis chapter 6 as we continue our walk through the Scripture. We completed our study in the book of Revelation a couple of months ago, two months ago roughly, and we're uh, now in the book of Genesis, walking through and presenting the full counsel of the Lord. This morning we come to Genesis chapter 6. If you missed last Sunday's message, uh, Pastor Matt did an excellent job expository teaching on Genesis chapter 5, and so would invite you to listen to that online. Um, Today, if I were to uh, suggest to you three things that I would want you to leave with, uh, probably not necessarily in this order, but I would want you to know the doctrine, what we would call the blessed hope or the second coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is coming again. Amen? Amen. That's important. We should let that sink in. The preceding of his second advent, where he will set his foot upon the Mount of Olives, that which precedes, we believe, is the rapture of the church. Where the church, those whose faith is in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Prior to, in fact, some seven years prior to his physical advent where he will set his foot upon the Mount of Olives. And so, to be reminded, and with that, to realize the implications associated with that. The Bible says, Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, he says, I I show you a mystery. We will not all sleep. The dead in Christ will rise at the trumpet And we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will be caught up to meet them in the air. Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, reminds them that it will happen in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. This mortal will put on immortality. This corruption will put on incorruption. We will be clothed with our heavenly bodies. It will happen like that. And we will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we will be with the Lord forever. Hallelujah. Thanks be to God. So, that would be one. Uh, I would want to remind all of us that we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. We'll see in a few moments, Noah walked by faith. And then thirdly, we have an opportunity today. We have an opportunity literally every day And very specifically today, as we are in a congregational setting, we have the opportunity to respond to the Word of God, to respond to the Spirit of God who is prompting us on the inside. We have an opportunity to repent, to surrender, and to commit things to the Lord. And so this morning... As we dive into this portion of Scripture, I want to challenge you to be listening to what the Spirit of God would be saying to you and to your heart. If there are areas in your life where something has come between you and your relationship with God, 
Something has become seemingly more important to you than your relationship with God. Today could be a day to refocus, to recalibrate, and to get Christ where he belongs, preeminent in our lives. Does that make sense? All right, amen. Let's dive in. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 6. I'm going to open with a quick word of prayer, and then we're going to look in Hebrews chapter 11 first, but you don't need to turn there. Father, help us in these next few moments as we look into the perfect law of liberty, the word of God, that our hearts would be challenged, and that, Lord, we would give Jesus Christ preeminence in our lives. We love you, Lord, and ask your blessings in Jesus' name. And everyone said a strong amen. Amen. Hebrews chapter 11, the great faith chapter, tells us in the seventh verse, the seventh verse, these words, by faith, Noah. We'll just stop there for a moment. By faith, Noah. Noah's one of those guys in Scripture that you and I should model our lives after. We learned last week that Noah what? Noah walked with God. One of two, possibly three, that the Scripture declares walked with God. Noah walked with God. Hebrews 11, the writer reminds us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, by faith, Noah. So the model, if you, if you, that second thought, if you will, for you and I, walk by faith. Let you and I make a decision that like Noah, we're going to believe God and act upon it. To walk by faith because God said so, that's why I. Okay? Has to do with obedience. By faith, Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Okay. By faith, Noah. Amen. Let's pick up in Genesis chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 9 through 22. So we're going to receive the entire story, if you will, in its context. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God. And the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, its width 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. You shall make a window in the ark, and you shall finish it a cubit from above, and set the door of the ark in its side. You shall make in it, or you shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. And behold, I myself am bringing flood waters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. 
establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing, of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds after their kind, of the animals after their kind, of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind, two of every kind will come with you or come to you to keep them alive. And you shall take for yourself all of the food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him. So he did. The story of Noah, the ark, and the animals. About 1,650 years after the creation of man, violence, wickedness, was prevailing on the earth. The end of all flesh had come before the Lord, and God brought forth a flood. He commanded Noah to build a boat, and commanded he, his sons, and his wives, and his wives, uh, his sons' wives to enter into the ark, and the animals, two by two, and of the clean animals we would see in another portion that there would be seven of the clean animals. I remind us all that this happened. This is not just a good story. This is not just some allegory of how things may have happened. This is the Word of God. There was a cataclysmic flood that covered the entire earth. The entire earth. It was not a localized flood. The whole earth was covered in water. The boat, if you want to hear more about that, you can come and listen tonight. We'll go into detail. But what I want to do is I want to go back to Hebrews chapter 11 for just a moment and analyze that account, if you will, and where it was fulfilled, if you will. Verse 11 says, by faith, being warned of God. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 13 says, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. God forewarned Noah of what was happening and what the intent was. He was warned by God. The reason I want to point out each of these fulfillments, if you will, or verse 11, uh, or chapter 11, verse 7, is telling us the story of Genesis 6, is because Noah is a type, if you will, for us, in that God saved him through the ark. And God is in the process of saving you and I for the destruction that is forthcoming on the earth. There is a final judgment, and we are warned about these things. And so, Noah being warned by God, we also have been warned by God ahead of time. It says, he was warned of the things not yet seen. Verse 17 tells us in Genesis 6, and told Noah what was going to happen, that the world was going to be inundated with a flood. Not only so, but he had told he had told Noah that he was going to cause it to rain in chapter 7, verse 4, that he was going to rain for 40 days and 40 nights. The bowels of the earth were going to break forth, and water was going to gush, and water was going to flow from the sky. And 
if, if you're one that holds the Genesis 2 portion where it had not yet rained, this, in fact, would be definitively something that had not happened yet. Imagine Noah telling people, look, water's going to fall from the sky. And no one had maybe potentially seen rain to that point. You can imagine the mockery. Think about you and I today when we're telling people that Jesus Christ is coming again. They're not even sure he came the first time. Many don't believe. Things not yet seen. He moved with fear. He moved with fear. I want you to highlight that in your Bibles and put your finger there. We will come back to that. But faith. Noah believed God and he moved on what God had said. He moved on the promise. He moved on the word of God. Let me challenge each of us, and we will come back to this, but every one of us, if your faith is in Jesus Christ today for the forgiveness of your sins, we are to be like Noah. We are to move by faith, and we are to move with a holy fear and to respond to God and the commandments that he gives us. His commandments are not burdensome. They're not burdensome. In fact, if we are in the midst of and engaged in, we find that his commandments are life-giving for us. We find joy in fulfilling. But let's go on. We'll come back to that. Number four, he prepared an ark to save his family. Genesis chapter uh, 6 and verse 14 and 22. The scripture says, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Then verse 22 tells us Noah did according to all that God commanded. He did it. He made a boat. It was a big boat. Depending on your understanding of the size of a cu- cubit, the standard size of a cubit is 18 inches. I think we do that for convenience. But in some calculations, it is as high as 25 inches. The volumetric capacity, if the cubit is 18 inches, the boat was 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high very large boat. The volumetric capacity is equivalent to 100, excuse me, uh, 522 standard size rail cars. 522 standard size rail cars. When I was working in the steel industry, we used to load containers to go across the United States. We could put 55 gallon steel drums, we could get 360 to 420 55 gallon steel drums in one rail car. That's a lot of volume. If you go to the 25-inch cubit, it increases the volumetric capacity four times. It's a very big boat. And all that to say, its buoyancy was more than the Titanic at the 18-inch cubit. And yet its length is even smaller, its volumetric capacity and its buoyancy is great. It's a big boat. And incidentally, there's more than enough room for all the animals. More than enough room. I invite you to come tonight. You'll hear a little bit more about that as well. Okay. Number five. Well, let me say this again. The ark is a type for us as well. You see, through the ark, eight and all were saved. We're saved from the judgment. And it's in Christ that you and I, he, Christ is our ark, and it is in him that we are saved from the impending judgment. 
judgment will come upon all whose faith is not in Christ. And so again, it's a reminder of the second coming in Joshua chapter 4. The fifth thing out of this uh, chapter 11, verse 7, by which he condemned the world. Genesis 6 and 7 tells us basically that the ark in and of itself was condemning those who did not believe. Noah was a preacher of righteousness, and the people did not believe. And so the very presence of the boat was speaking out. And when the waters began to accumulate on the earth, it happened rapidly. And people, they knew their condemnation was sure. When the waters broke forth and the skies poured out their water, the people knew Noah spoke the truth. He spoke the word of God. And they, in it because they did not believe, were condemned. Our message, our message, It's a message of grace. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall what? Shall be saved. Hallelujah. It's an opportunity. It's a message of hope. But those who do not believe, they stand condemned in their sin. We must tell them. We must tell them. Number six to this verse 7 of chapter 11 says he became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. In a moment we'll look at what God's testimony was and is of man. In a moment though I want to turn to the New Testament for Jesus kind of at a point of privacy his disciples came to him and asked him about when these things would transpire when he would come, and what would be the sign of his coming and the end of the age. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? When will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Jesus responds a little down line and says, But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man, or will the coming of the Son of Man be. As were the days of Noah, so will be the days of the coming of the Son of Man, the Son of God, the second return of Jesus Christ, the second advent of Jesus. So, what were the days of Noah like? What were the days of Noah like? Well, let's turn back in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 6, and let's just read the first nine verses that we didn't read the initial time we read. It says this, Now when it came to pass, or it, now it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, the daughters were born, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be one hundred and twenty years. There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and bore children to them, those were the mighty men uh, who were of old. 
men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on earth. And he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So what were the conditions? When man began to populate, man began to multiply. Now there are mathematicians and conservative theologians and mathematicians that get together and try to ascertain what was this like and how many people could have been there. I'll spare you the details of population calculations. Uh, they are interesting. They are uh, fascinating. I will mention that the days prior to the flood were different than our days presently in that people lived longer. And there are reasons for that, and there are certainly some scientific theories about that and why that would be. And uh, we've already talked about that. Uh, actually, last week we talked about that Sunday evening, and you can listen to that online if you would like. So population would, would have different uh, population growth numbers because there would be a minimized death rate. So if people are living longer, they stay. There's not an equal death rate, if you will, with the population growth. People living longer also are more fruitful from uh, prodigies. They would have more children. But we could take conservative estimates of five boys and five girls in every marriage, if you will, and we certainly see post-flood, uh, many people were having as many as 30 children. Josephus writes, who is, uh, who is uh, a scribe, and he worked for the Roman government uh, during the first century, he indicates for us that Adam had 76 kids. So 10 would be a conservative number. The mathematics, if each of the five kids married their counterpart, if you will, and then each of those marriages had five kids, and they married and had five kids and married and had five kids and married. By the time the floodwaters came on the earth, you ready for this? Ten billion people. That's a conservative number. So you sit, now I know you, and because I, I know me. You're like, <laughs> yeah, right. There's no way. There's just way too many people. How could? I think it's a keen thing to observe that God relented that he made man because the thoughts and the heart of man was only continually evil. That is not a different circumstance than what we live in today. But you could imagine if there were 10 trillion people and that was the net result. One could see God would surely relent. It would be so very grievous if those numbers were that massive. So, so whether they were massive or whether they were small, I've seen numbers as low as uh, 9 billion. 9 billion. So the difference between 9 billion and 10 trillion is like 1,000, one 1,000th one of. We don't know what the numbers were, but what we do know is that the folks were in a bad way. But we see 
certainly there was a condition of population multiplication. And we know on the globe at 1800 A.D., one billion people, we reached the number one billion. 127 years later, in 1927, we reached two billion. 33 years after that, in 1960, we reached three billion. 13 years later, in I think it's 73, 79, whatever the numbers are, that we were at four billion. Then 12 years, five billion. Then another 12 years, five, uh, six billion. And in 2011, another 12 years, we reached 7 billion. We have war. We have a very early death rate, if you will, in terms of people making it to 70 years old by way of strength, perhaps 80. And our population growth numbers are very, very small, 0.0021, if you will. All that to say, we are in a population expansion right now. When you think from 19 or in 1800 to 1927, 127 years to go from 1 billion to 2 billion, to go the next billion, it was only 33 years. To go the next billion, it was 14 years. We are in an exponential growth, if you will. There are over 75 million people that are added to the globe on an annual basis. 75 million. Okay? And that's with death rates and birth rates. So, so all I have to say, we're in a population growth. There was an interesting supernatural intermingling in the gene pool. I don't have time this morning to go through all of the different theories associated with these giants in the land, the Nephilim, the fallen ones, uh, the different theories associated with it, where the, the sons of Seth marrying the daughters of Cain, that's what theologically a lot of people hold to. I can tell you it just really isn't supported very well in Scripture. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. There's a few pieces that would be missing. Then there were some fallen angels that did not keep their former abode. Seeing the daughters of men, there's a theory that fallen angels came and had relations with the daughters of men, and there was an intermixing of the gene pool. And there are some other theories even that are further down the line. I, I, I'm one that would hold these were fallen angels. I believe that's what was going on. And I think there's some interesting implications, but we can just note there was something happening in the days of Noah on a supernatural level. And... We know also from Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 that there will be enmity between thy seed, speaking to the serpent, the seed of the devil, and the woman's seed, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. The seed of the devil is mentioned there. So there is a possibility that there's going to be a future engagement with supernatural activity where the Antichrist is going to come into play. We saw that in the book of Revelation. I, I throw that out to you to say that could happen in our day. Jesus is coming soon. The Antichrist could already be on earth. The potential of intermingling could have already transpired. Leave that with you. What was next? The wickedness of man was great in the earth. Verse 5. Every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Again, verse 5. The earth was also corrupt before God. Verse 11. And the earth was filled with violence. So we have wickedness, evilness, corruptness, and violence. Is that a description of what is transpiring? Pick up the newspaper. 
turn on your internet news, you're going to see all four of those categories in mass number. Mass number. The intent of the heart is always and only evil, wickedness, corruption. So, let's do a quick contrast to the church and Noah. Noah having been warned, Noah having been warned, we also have been warned. We've been warned. In fact, Paul tells Timothy, perilous times are coming. Men will be lovers of themselves, haters of good, inventors of evil. Is that a day we're living in? Yeah, we live in perilous days. He also warned of an apostasy, a falling away, if you will. He also told him that a day was coming when men would not put up with sound doctrine. But their itching ears, they would heap up teachers who will say what they want to hear, not what the Word of God declares. We're told, in fact, the Mount Olivet Discourse of Matthew chapter 24, when they asked that question, the first thing Jesus said is, let no one deceive you. Let no one deceive you. Everyone in this room should be a student of the Word of God. We need to be students of the Word of God. We need to know the Word of God. We need to know what the Word of God says so that when counterfeit is presented, we will be able to identify it by knowing the truth. By knowing the truth. He was warned. We've been warned. Warned of things not yet seen. He hadn't seen rain, potentially, and he hadn't seen a cataclysmic flood that was the totality of the entire globe. He was warned. You and I have also been warned. Something we haven't seen yet. We've not seen the church snatched away. We've not seen people translated. Now, they have been translated, but you and I have not seen it. We didn't see Elijah go up. Elisha did. He was translated. We didn't see Enoch get caught up. He walked with God and then was no more because God took him, raptured him. We didn't see that. We've been warned. It is forthcoming. The dead in Christ will rise, and we who are alive and remain, we will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. God, praise God. We've been told about it ahead of time. He moves with holy fear. Again, I want to come back to that because I think there's a responsibility for you and I in relationship to that. He prepared an ark for the saving of his house. Noah prepared an ark for the saving of his house. Here's the beauty for you and I. The ark's already been prepared. The ark's been prepared. We don't have the labor. The labor has been done. We just have the communication of the ark that is available for all men to be a part of. By which he condemned the world. I wonder, the world that then was, was without excuse. Was without excuse. I wonder, will our generation be without excuse because we've done our assignment? And we've done our assignment well. Think about in your life and your realm of influence, how many people you know and how many people you actually have influence with. Some 
of us measure that by the number of friends we have on Facebook? Do your friends on Facebook and social media know where you stand? Do they know what you believe? Do they know why you believe what you believe? Have you told them that Jesus Christ is coming soon? And outside of a personal relationship by faith in what Jesus Christ accomplished upon the cross, they will spend an eternity separated from God. In hell, a place that was prepared for the devil and his angels. God help us to sense the holy fear. There's eminent fire. And men not need spend eternity there. How tragic would it be for you and I if on that day we're standing on the other side when the sheep and the goat are separated and we're standing over here and we're with Jesus and someone we know is on the other side and they're looking at us like this. How come you didn't tell me? You knew? Why didn't you tell me? Well, we're not friends. We're just associates at work. It's just a guy who sits in the booth for the restaurant that I eat on Tuesdays. I don't really know him. It's not me. reminds us that the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and as children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Thank you, man. I mean, if your faith today is in Jesus Christ, come on, we're going to heaven. That is epic. That is epic. I can't think of any better news today. I mean, no matter what is going on in your life today, listen, you're headed to heaven if your faith is in Jesus. Come on. That is good news. So no matter what, yeah, no matter what, here's the deal. Some of the people that you know are going through things that are equally as bad as what you're going through, and you have hope, and they don't. They ought to be looking at you saying, why are you so upbeat? What is up with that? I know what's going on in your life. That's our opportunity. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We ought to be prepared. We're reminded by Peter to give an answer of the hope that is in us. Okay, so I mentioned that I was going to come back a couple of times, and I said that I was going to come back, and we were going to listen to God's testimony of Noah. This week, in an obscure way, uh, I felt like the Lord led me to Ezekiel chapter 14. Uh, I shared this with a couple of you at some point, I think, with the interns. I just invite you to turn in your Bibles with me real quickly to the prophet Ezekiel in the 14th chapter. And here in the 14th chapter, we have a testimony of God in relationship to Noah, amongst two others. I want to read chapter 14 from the beginning. And here's, we're going to hear the testimony of God regarding Noah. I want you to hear also God's testimony of Israel, his people, his people. And we are the church, and we are his people. So you see the comparison or the correlation. 
right? Everybody see that? So what God's saying about Israel, does that apply to me? Does it apply to me? Does it apply to you? Because what he has to say is not good. This is what he says. Now, some of the elders of Israel came to me and sat before me. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, these men have set up for up their idols in their hearts and put before them that which causes them to stumble into iniquity. Should I let myself be inquired of them at all or at all by them? He says, son of man, look this way for a moment. He says, son of man, these have put up in their hearts idols, stumbling blocks that lead them into sin. This is not a cardiovascular thing. He's talking about the spirit, their heart, their soul. They put things in their mind, their heart, idols. Now, he says, should I allow them to inquire of me at all? Verse 4, therefore speak to them and say to them, thus says the Lord God, everyone of the house of Israel who sets up idols in his heart and puts before him that which causes him to stumble into iniquity and then comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him who comes according to the multitude of his idols. I want you to note that there can be more than one idol. Okay? Let me pause here for a moment, too, and just mention before we get to verse 5, we think often of idols when we think of the Old Testament and we think of Israel and we think of these other nations of graven images carved out of stone, like maybe you've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark and they have these little images, little carved things, or maybe tiki toys or whatever if you've seen something in Hawaii or one of the islands and you see these idols that are carved. And those are idols. But lest we think for one moment because we say, well, I don't have a tiki toy in my mind. I'm not burning incense candles to a stone image in my front yard that looks like a gnome or something. For us, some of us have wooden images. We call them a house. We put our house as a priority over the Lord. Some of us have objects made of steel or alloy or metal, like they did in the city of Ephesus. And they made images of Diane, the goddess of fertility. But ours are in the form that have four wheels. And we know how many horses are under the hood. Because somehow we're gaining our identity by what we have. And I got my cool factor going on. I feel a little bit better when I put my shades on on a sunny day and I'm cruising down. My GTO or whatever it is for you. Maybe it's the TV. Maybe it's a show. Maybe it's something, something. Maybe it's your music. Verse 5. That I may seize the house of Israel by their hearts, because they are estranged from me by their idols. I think there's a condition in the church of Jesus Christ today where the church itself is estranged from the Lord because of their idolatry. 
And because of our idolatry, there's been deception, and many in the church of the living God, many in the body of Christ, spend little or no time in the presence of the Lord because they're consumed. Maybe your idol is social media. How many likes do I have on this photo? Got to go check. It's the real deal. And people spend hours, hours. It's strange. Are you estranged from the Lord this morning? Do you feel distant from the Lord this morning? Can I suggest to you, if you do, to remind you that God hasn't moved? God hasn't moved. If we're away from the Lord, it's because we've moved. If there's something between us and the Lord, it's because we put it there. He did not. He did not. And just as easily as we put it there, we can take it away. We can move it. Now I say easily, just as easily. How many of us know it isn't as easy to remove as it is to put. But under the power of the Spirit of God, we can remove from our lives. I'm going to go a little further. Verse 7. For anyone of the house of Israel, of the strangers who dwell in Israel, who separates himself from me and sets up idols in his heart and puts before me that which causes him to, or uh, before him, what causes him to stumble into iniquity, then comes to a prophet to inquire of him and concerning me, I, the Lord, will answer him by myself. I will set my face against that man and make him a sign and a proverb. I will cut him off from the midst of my people. Then shall you know, or then you shall know that I am the Lord. And if the prophet is induced to speak anything, I, the Lord, will in, uh, will I, the Lord, have induced that prophet, and I will stretch out my hand against him and destroy him from among my people, Israel. And they shall bear their iniquity. The punishment of the prophet shall be the same as the punishment of the one inquiring. But the house of Israel, I want you to hear verse 11. In fact, underline it, because this is the cry of God, I believe, for every one of, everyone in the church. This is the cry of God as well. That the house of Israel, that the church, may no longer stray from me, nor be profaned anymore with all their transgressions, but that they may that they may be my people and I may be their God, says the Lord of hosts. Goes on to say in verse twelve, then the word of the Lord came to again to me, saying, Son of man, when the land sins against me, by persistent unfaithfulness I will stretch out my hand against it, I will cut off its supply of bread and send famine on it, and will cut off man and beast from it. Even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they would deliver only themselves by their righteousness, says the Lord God. Now let me stop there. It's the people or it's the land. We're living in a day where in America, the land has sinned against the Lord. And there is a famine in the land. There's a famine in the land. You say, well, wait a minute, there's bread in the house, the grocery stores are filled. In fact, there seems to be such an abundance of food that we're feeding other nations. Well, that is true. 
There's a famine in the land that is not with bread and food and meat. There's a famine, what the prophets tell us, there will be a famine of the word of God in the land. And there is a famine of the word of God in the land, even of America. Many churches across this great nation have forfeited truth and are teaching that which is not true. At the end of the day, we need the Word of God working in us. We need the Word of God revealing to us. The Scripture says the Word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, penetrating to the dividing of the soul and the spirit, the bone and the marrow. It is the discerner of the motives and the intents of the heart. We're talking about a heart issue this morning. Noah was a righteous man. He walked before the Lord. He walked by faith. He walked righteously before the Lord. That's a challenge for all of us. That is a challenge. The prophet Ezekiel is told of the condition of the hearts of even the leaders in Israel. And as the leaders go, so goes the people. And we can see in this election season what America has brought before the two parties. America deserves what America gets. And I, know, I, and I, I know that sounds humorous, but I don't mean that to be funny. That's a reality. Pastor Dennis, when he prayed this morning that we that we vote biblically, come on. I am in I am in absolute agreement with that. To me, the number one issue is the murder that happens every single day in our nation. 4,000 babies unborn are executed. And the church of Jesus Christ needs to stand up for what's right. We are advocates for life. We believe that life occurs at conception. We need to stand for those that have no voice. And the candidates that will uphold life. Huh? Listen, if you don't like what the candidate is saying, I'm I'm in full agreement with you also. But if they stand for life, then I'll stand for life. Supreme Court Justice. very well. The Supreme Court Justice. We got a problem with the justice system in America. The candidate that gets voted in in this coming election will make appointments to the Supreme Court Justice over the next eight years, at least three, possibly four. That ought to weigh in our voters. Say, well, man, you're saying something. You're saying something from the pulpit. Well, I know it's okay, and thank you, Carol, and thank you, Sherry. Come on. Here's the thing. The pulpit in America for hundreds of years used to say something. But for fear of losing some 501c3 status and tax-exempt status won't say something. Far be it from us to be afraid. 
of some privilege that the state of Oregon has given us. We don't have, we, we, our privilege doesn't come from the state of Oregon. Our privilege comes from Almighty God. Are you with me? see it in the election and we're blinded to it right here we're the problem we're the problem if there are idols in your life big or small and there's pride maybe you're just resisting the spirit of God say I don't need to repent of that that doesn't apply to me you know right now you're living in sin, disobedience to God, and you're not in a state of repentance. So he goes on to say, verse 13, son of man, oh, I read that, verse 14, even if these read that, verse 15, if I cause wild beasts to pass through the land, I'm not going to find it, read it. He tells them, repent, repent. It's simple, guys. And I say it with a smile on my face because we need to simply listen to the Lord. Everyone came to church this morning. I hope you came to church this morning saying, man, I want to hear what the Lord has to say. I want to hear what the Word of God is. You came with expectation. I did. I came with expectation and anticipation. And in in that is, Lord, if you show me something here that isn't right, I'm going to repent and I'm going to surrender. I'm not just going to make a commitment, oh, I'm going to go do this from here on out. No, I'm going to surrender something. I am going to relinquish any access to it. I'm going to relinquish and say, no, I surrender all. I'm going to throw my arms in the air and say, I am hands off. And I'm going to walk away. I'm going to turn and go the other way. I'm going to leave it over there. And no matter what it is, listen, if you, it's interesting to me that he talks to them. And he says, before your face. Oftentimes we think about that being something that we bring before our face. But if you come from the backside, before your face is your brain and it's the frontal lobe. And guess what's going on in the frontal lobe? Every moral decision you make where your imagination is active in the area of sexuality. If it's corrupt and you're thinking about things you ought not be thinking about, it's idolatry. Man, if you are making love to your wife with your eyes closed and you're thinking about another woman, it's time to repent. That's a big deal. if you're gaining some relational something out of someone other than your husband, you need to repent. Husband shall leave for this cause. A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. I know I'm going long this morning, guys. I believe that God God wants to begin in our hearts and in our lives begins right here. It brings it good old days. Got to repent of. Repent of. The leaders of Israel, they're stuck. Pastor Dennis, Pastor Matt, the elders of this church, the deacons of this church, 
every man in this house, the head of his own home. It's time to get things right. It's time to get things right. So with that being said, by way of encouragement, the altar's here. To come to the altar and to say, I surrender. Don't give it up. Don't give it up. In fact, I'm going to just invite you to stand where you're at right now. We're just going to we're going to conclude with this. Noah moved with fear. He moved with fear. Will we? Will we move with fear? some need to pick up kids and all that kind of stuff. I just invite you to take a few moments. There's something, big or small. We're not, we're not, we're not here judging one another. Well, if so-and-so goes to the altar, um, they probably have some gross sin in their life. Why, why are you worried about somebody else being? I mean, I get it that we are our brother's keeper. I, I understand that. But there's enough going on in your heart to listen to the Spirit of God reveal your heart to you. Does that make sense? I will say to everybody here, you could just leave today and not respond. But everyone in this room has something to repent of. Everyone. You are not exempt. If you've not been listening and you've just been waiting for the service to be over, Tune in for a moment. You've got something to repent of. Just tune in. It's just a moment. I believe that God wants to bring deliverance in your life. And he wants to do something new or renew in and through you. He wants to restore marriages. He wants to restore relationships. He wants to restore kids to their fathers and fathers to their kids. He wants to restore daughters to their fathers and daughters to their kids. He wants to restore relationships. He wants to bring about forgiveness. He wants to bring about health and healing. And my dear brother, Anthony, who's just walked forth, understands the gravity of this. Brother, I'm proud of you. And I'm going to invite you to join Anthony, a young man in our midst, who gets it. Will you step out? Will you come forward? And will you say, I surrender all, and I'm just going to give it to Jesus, and I'm going to surrender. I'm going to get rid of the idols in my heart, and I'm just going to say, God, I surrender it all. I surrender. I want nothing. I do not want to be estranged from you. Pack it in tight, guys. Come on. Don't hesitate. Just get in. Pastor Dennis, if you'd come. Jill, thank you. Hallelujah. 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 If you say, I'm not used to coming to the altar, it makes me uncomfortable, I'm going to invite you to feel uncomfortable. <laughs> just come on. Because it's, honestly, if you're new here today and you say, man, this is, man, these guys are a little bit, they're edgy. They're out there. Say, hey, come. You got stuff. The Spirit of God is prompting you. I, my eyes are closed. I'm not even looking. I don't, don't want to know. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, you convict our hearts because you love us. You convict our hearts because you love us. And all this political stuff aside, I know that makes people edgy and upset. It is what it is. Lord, it's the heart that you're concerned about today. Each of our hearts. Are you revealing things 
idols that we've put up in front of you in the imagination of our own brains, areas of our lives. Your word tells us that all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, they are not from the Father or of this world. We know there's the prince of the power of the air, the god of this age, Satan, who is in charge of all those things. And so we want to renounce our connections with, we want to renounce our adherences to, we want to renounce where we have put that kind of stuff in front of our relationship with you. And we confess, whether it's lust of eyes, lust of flesh, or pride of life, wherever it falls, maybe we're just power hungry. Maybe we've just sought after manna, or mammon, and not manna. We've sought after riches and not the bread of life. The one who said, I am the bread of life, Jesus Christ. We've sought after materialism and mammon. And you've said, you cannot serve both masters. We've just been materialistic, and it's all it's been about all this. It's just stuff. We say, no. Not Jesus, who said, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of God, the Son of Man, has nowhere to rest his head. We recognize it's not about the stuff. The one who says, hey, when someone asks you for your coat, give them your tunic also. It's not about what we wear. It's not our clothes. You told us that even the lilies of the field are dressed in more splendor than Solomon in all of his splendor. It's not about that stuff. It's not about that stuff. God, help us to be kingdom-minded, to be about the kingdom of God, to be about the kingdom of God. Jesus, you are coming soon, and we need to be ready. We need to hear the warnings. We need to know. We want to be different than the Pharisees of the day when you came with your first advent and you reprimanded them, you should have known this thy day. But because you didn't, blindness in part has come upon you. Lord, far be it from us to not recognize the signs of the times in which we live. The conditions are as they were in the days of Noah. We know your second coming is soon. Lord, help us to be ready. Help us to communicate the grace and the love of God through faith in Jesus. And Lord, first, before all of those things, before we go out into the mission field, we stand at the altar today and say, God, there's been idols in my life, and I don't want to simply commit that I'm not going to go back. I don't want to commit that I'm not going to touch those things. I don't want to commit that I'm going to abstain from that thing or those things from this day forward. I don't, it's not a, it's a I surrender. Access will be completely denied because I surrender. I give it up in its entirety. And yes, now after I surrender, I make the commitment never again. But the surrender comes first. And we simply declare, we surrender all. We surrender all. Can I have everyone in the house say that? We surrender all. Lord, we surrender it. And we want you to fill these earthen vessels. Will you fill these earthen vessels a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over? Fill us fresh with the Holy Ghost. Fill us fresh with the Word of God. Let the Word of Christ dwell richly in us for your glory and for your namesake. Father, we ask that you forgive us. Will you forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness? We confess.
confess our sin. We confess our sin to you. We ask that you cleanse us. Thank you that we have been justified by Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we simply say, will you empower us fresh with the endowment of power from on high, endued with power from on high to be witnesses unto Jesus as we go from this place in our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria, and unto the ends of the earth for your glory and for your namesake. God, we love you. We love you. And we praise you. And we thank you. We ask your benediction. We pray your power be made manifest in our lives. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Be glorified in our lives. Go before us, I pray. Make rough places smooth. And may every man, woman, and child here be empowered. If there be any here who have not said yes to Jesus, I pray today would be the day of salvation. If you come with someone, talk to them about it, and they will share with you faith and how you can put your faith in Christ. If you've come on your own and you want to know more about what it means to be a Christ follower and be born again, you come and talk with me or Pastor Dennis immediately following the service. We will talk with you, we'll pray with you, and encourage you. God be glorified. We love you. We ask all of these things in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said a strong and hearty amen and amen. Listen, love on each other. God be glorified. And let's walk in the victory and the surrender that we have given this day. God bless you. Go in his grace and power.